The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is a beautiful day, and in honor of the beautiful day, we really have a great show. Of course, I think that we have a great show every week, but today we're discussing the impact of learning differences on the college process. Uh, We're also going to wrap up our four-part series on the high school years with a final piece on what to focus on in senior year. But before we get to any of that, we're first going to tackle what the financial aid implications are for students who plan to apply under a college's binding early decision program. And back again, because she was just our guest last week, and we're always excited to have her here, uh, is Kathy Ruby, who used to be the, boy, I don't have it in front of me today, but Dean of Financial Aid at St. <laughs> Olaf's. Is that, that all right? Cool. Yeah, there you uh, go. Hi, Kathy. How you doing? Good. Hi, Beth. <laughs> good, good. So early decision. First, for those people who are listening in and wondering what early decision is or they think they know but they're not quite sure, early decision is a binding early application program. And under early decision, what essentially what happens is the student applies by a certain date. That's typically uh, a month or two earlier than the regular decision date. And it's usually around November 1st or November, November 15th. It can be slightly earlier or slightly later, but that's the typical time for early decision. And um, what early decision means is you are telling the college, if you admit me, I'm going to come. So you are making a commitment. The student signs something acknowledging that. The parent signs something acknowledging that. And the student's guidance counselor also has to sign something acknowledging that agreement so that basically everybody's on the same page. If you get in, you're going to withdraw all of your other applications and you're going to send your deposit to us and come the fall, you're going to enroll in this institution. So it's a big decision to make and um, it does have some financial implications. So when we think about early decision, often we think about the admission side of things, about the fact that at those schools that offer early decision, and not all schools do, but at the ones that do offer it, it can offer a little bit of an advantage in the admissions process. Not a huge advantage. It doesn't take someone who suddenly, uh, who wasn't particularly admissible in regular decision and suddenly turn them into an incredible candidate. But what it can do is give students who are already look pretty good in regular decision and make them look even better because they're committing to that institution. Um, So we often think about that side of things. What we don't always talk about or think about uh, is what it means for you financially. So, Kathy, you're the college finance expert. What are the things to keep in mind financially if you decide to apply through early decision? Well, so um, 
let's just step back for a minute. And from a process perspective, when it comes to the finance side of things, when you apply early decision, the college will generally give you a way to find out what your financial aid award will be before you have to commit. Um, and that means that they'll usually have an earlier financial aid process. So they'll have you, if they're a profile school, they'll have you do the profile in November. Um, if they're not a profile school, maybe they'll have some sort of an estimator that they'll have you do so that they can give you an estimate of what you're going to qualify for before you make a decision. Because, of course, you want to know what it's going to cost before you make a decision. And, of course, the one reason that you can pull out of early decision is if the school is not going to be affordable for you. Um, So that is one reason you can pull out. But when you do pull out of an early decision agreement, that means you're done at that institution. That means that you can't go back on May 1st and say, oh, you know what? Now that I've seen other financial aid packages, maybe we can make you work. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're out of the pool once you've told them you're not coming. So, right. um, so it shouldn't be treated lightly um, from a financial perspective. One of the things we suggest that people do now, which they weren't able to do a few years ago, um, is to use a college's net price calculator ahead of time to really start to get a sense of what that college might end up costing. Um, because that's just great information to have. And so you can you can go anytime to, to a college's net price calculator, put in your information, and then they'll churn out an estimate of what it might cost to send your child to that school. Um, now, the problem with the net price calculator is that it's not perfect. It doesn't capture any special circumstances you might have. Um, and it's only as good as the information that you put in. So mm-hmm. if you're using the net price calculator, you might want to give yourself a cushion. You know, if, if they say, well, it's going to cost $20,000 to send your child here, you might want to be comfortable with 25000 You know, don't, don't take it as the last word. Right. It's not necessarily the maximum amount. It might be the minimum amount that you would end up paying or things right. change, right? So that calculation could change. And I would also encourage you, you know, if you have questions about whether you've entered information correctly um, or you just want to feel a little more secure about it, I think you're, um, it's a good idea to contact the college's financial aid office and just explain, mm-hmm. you know, my child's trying to decide whether or not to apply early decision and I want to make sure this place will be affordable um, because it is his first choice. Um, and usually a financial aid office would be willing to work with you there and make sure that, that you're getting a good estimate of what, what things might cost. Right, before you make that commitment. Yeah, cause because it's in their interest too. I mean, they, they want everyone who applies early decision and is admitted early decision, they want all of them to come. And so right. it's in their best interest to help you out there. And just for our listeners who are wondering why does the school care, from a school perspective, because everybody pays attention to this thing called yield, which basically means uh, how, many appli- how many offers of acceptance you send out and how many students take you up on those offers of acceptance, the fewer offers of acceptance you have to send out in order to yield your class or or enroll your incoming class, the better that looks from a selectivity perspective. Um, So it's things like the ratings and the rankings that that have seemed to proliferate and really come to a head with U.S. News & World Report that is kind of driving this a little bit. So the the all the different pieces fit in together in an interesting way and this is one of the reasons why I'm so I'm not a fan of rankings but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day <laughs> but that is why this is important yield is very important to a college and it's not just for rankings it's also because it helps them better predict 
who, how many <laughs> exactly. students they're going to be enrolling and all. And that's really useful to them, too, so that they, they don't wind up with 300 more students in the freshman class to find dorm rooms for or Conversely, 300 too few students, and they exactly. can't fill all their beds, right? Yep. Uh, okay, so what would you say are financially, are there cons to applying early decision? And if so, what do you see as the primary cons? Well, there really are two, two reasons from a financial perspective to, to, you know, the negative side of early decision. Um, the first is for some schools, um, schools that offer merit scholarships, it's possible that if you apply through their early decision uh, process, you might be awarded less in a scholarship than if you had applied through their regular process. Um, now, that doesn't happen all the time by any, by any means, but there are some schools who might have that policy. And, and sim- that's simply because, you know, remember, the reason that merit scholarships are awarded is to entice students to enroll. And so a college doesn't have to award as much in scholarship to a student who they know has already indicated that this is their first choice. <laughs> right. So exactly. you're well within your rights to ask an admissions office or a financial aid office, you know, if I apply through early decision, will I be treated the same in scholarship and financial aid awarding? Um, and well within your rights to ask that question, and colleges should answer it honestly for you. Right. And um, what's so that's the, second the first reason. What's that? I was just going to say, what's the second reason? Oh, well, so the second reason is um, you lose your ability to compare other financial aid packages from other schools. And in some cases, you might even lose the ability to, to negotiate with the college or leverage one college against another to try to get additional money. So essentially what that means is you may not pay the, the lowest price possible um, for that institution or in general for your child to go to college. So you because of the timing, you lose the ability to have a full picture. So what that really means is if, if your child is absolutely um, dead set on applying early decision, then from a financial perspective, you just have to reconcile yourself to um, whatever you think the financial aid award might be. Right. Are, do you think there are any pros to that financially to applying well, early decision? I mean, I guess there's there's certainty. I mean, there are a lot of pros that are that are not financial. I mean, there's lots sure. of psychological pros like certainty and, um, uh, and in so- actually there are a few schools, I think, where you might get priority in housing um, in selecting mm-hmm. your housing choice if you go early decision. So there might be some other things that are, are less financial in nature. But I mean, we, we also don't want to say that early decision is bad all the time because there can be situations, even from a financial perspective, um, where it just makes sense for your student to apply early decision. I mean, my daughter is a musician, and she was looking at a variety of schools, and she fell in love with one. Um, And, of course, I knew how the finances were going to work out because I understood net price calculators. I understood the college's merit policies. And so I knew we weren't going to necessarily get the lowest price, but I was Mm -hmm. comfortable. My husband and I were both comfortable with what we thought was going to happen, which is what happened. Um, And so for her, it worked out. Now, we had a small financial benefit because it meant she didn't have to fly around the country to audition at different schools. Oh, so that's Um, not insignificant, right? (laughs) No, that's not insignificant. But but really, the point here is that sometimes early decision is the best thing for your student, even if it's not the 
absolute best financial decision. Sometimes you value other things more. And for us, it was the certainty, it was the program she was interested in, um, and their reputation and their location and, you know, all kinds of things about them that we valued enough that we were willing to pay a little bit more. So it doesn't mean early decision is always bad, um, right. even if you're going to pay a, a larger price. And, you know, what I would add to that is at Penn, where I did admissions, we had early decision. We also had a commitment to meeting the full financial need of everyone who applied. So if you did the net price calculator, which actually at the time wasn't a possibility, but I guess my overarching point here is that you weren't going to get a different financial aid package in regular decision than you were going to get right. in early decision. So the benefit there is that you had a better shot at getting in. Yep. If you applied an early decision and you were going to get the same financial package. The one difference, though, is that Penn did, as do most of the Ivies, uh, Penn was willing to come into line with other similarly selective schools. So if you got into any other Ivy or, Har- or Stanford or MIT or sometimes a place like Duke, uh, which P- Penn considered uh, basically their peer institutions, and you got mm-hmm. a better package at one of those schools, then you might be able to negotiate and leverage a better package for yourself at Penn. Um, so you did give up that possibility, but there wasn't going to be a huge difference in right. packages, and that's where maybe you needed to bet to kind of weigh the benefit of getting that boost in early decision against getting a bunch of packages to compare. But Penn exactly. is a pretty unique situation, right? Well, I mean, not and, but a, I would also say that most colleges probably package early decision students similarly. Um, so, right. But the real question is, are you comfortable with how they're going to package you in the first place? Exactly. And, 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 and is, is a, their definition of need okay with your definition of need? <laughs> we, you know, that's a very important point. There is a difference between, yep. you know, there's a difference between need and want also, right? So how the yep. college views what you need and what you might view as what you need, the college might see as, well, I understand that's what you want, but we don't think that's what you need. Right. Um, and there exactly. can be a difference there. So. Yep. Um, what about early action? So for those of you who are not as familiar with early action, early action is a similar early program. You get an early decision. And I, I don't know that I mentioned that with early decision, but if you apply by an earlier deadline, you also get your answer earlier. So early decision, you typically find out in uh, mid-December, mid to late December. Early action is the same basic idea. You find out, you apply by an earlier deadline, and you usually find out sometime in December. Sometimes it's January, depending on the school. But you are no longer, you're not committed to attending that school. So you don't have to tell them whether you're coming or not until May. So what do you think? Are there financial issues with early action? Um, um, well, none of the same none of the same issues as with as with early decision because you have until May 1st. So you can compare financial aid awards, you can negotiate, you can do all those things. Um, but the one thing to be careful of with early action is that um, many colleges will make the early action deadline their priority deadline for scholarship consideration. Or for that matter, just applying earlier, um, they may have a, a deadline by which you must apply for admission in order to be considered for scholarships. So do pay attention to all of the different deadlines and read carefully to find out, is there a priority deadline for scholarships? Many times it'll coincide with an early action deadline, other times not. But that's the most important thing is that sometimes it's important to apply earlier than you think to get maximum consideration for scholarships. 
Right. Absolutely. Boston College right off the top of my head comes to mind as one. Or is it Boston Uh, University or Boston College? I can't remember. It's by December 1st. You have to apply in order to I know that at Boston College, they want you in their early action pool if you're going to be considered for the few merit scholarships they have available. BU may have a similar policy, but I know for sure. I think has a similar policy, yeah. Gotcha. So. Well, we're, we're East Coast-centric today, but I know there are lots <laughs> of schools all over the country um, that have similar um, yeah. policies. So you do, I think that's a really great point. You definitely want to pay attention to that. Kathy, thanks so much for coming back today. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Uh, for our listeners, don't go away because we are talking about senior year with Kira Tyler next. I'm also going to tell you about an exciting new promotion that we have going on this week through the end of July. So stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get into our next segment, which is about what to do in senior year, I want to announce a special new promotion that we have going on starting today. We're asking all of you, our listeners, to submit your questions or topic ideas at, and you want to write this down, www.getintocollege.com forward slash radio. So again, it's getintocollege.com forward slash radio. We're going to choose the most timely and relevant topics, three of them, to create a listener's choice show, which we're going to air in a few weeks. Um, But all of your submissions are going to be entered into a raffle, and we're going to select three winners, one each week until the end of July, to win a free 30-minute consult with one of our college coach experts. And those are otherwise known as these fabulous guests who join me each week. They're all wonderful. They're all experts in admissions. Uh, You could have a a consult with someone on the finance side if that was more interesting to you. Either one, we can arrange it. 
Um, this week's winner we're going to actually draw on Tuesday. That's next Tuesday, July 21st at noon Eastern time. So you want to get your submission in before then. So jot that down, get into college.com forward slash radio and send us your ideas. In the meantime, Kira Tyler is here for the fourth week in a row. Kira, I feel like maybe we should change this to getting in hosted by Beth Heaton and Kira Tyler at this point. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So every week for the last three weeks, we have been talking about what high school students should be focusing on each year in high school. And we're in our fourth week, so those of you who have been listening, or even if you're just tuning in, you may have guessed we are talking about senior year this year. And there are a lot of things to think about in the senior year. And I think I'd like to start with actually right now. So it's July between your junior and senior year. What kinds of things should you be doing during the summer? Yeah, great place to start. So summer prior to senior year, especially in July, I like to give my kids like June off. Um, But in July is really when kids should start to get organized. So to me, there is like no better time to start working on the applications, which when I say applications, I mean drafting an essay, come August 1st, work on that common application, or, you know, a lot of other schools will come online if they're not on the common app around that time. Um, you know, certainly do some visits. It's still a good time to visit. Um, and if your student hadn't uh, lined up some letters of recommendation prior to the end of junior year, you know, maybe they could do some thinking about who they could ask. And maybe even if they have an email address, ask those teachers, um, you know, over the summer. Yep. I agree with all of that. And I've seen some back and forth lately. Kira and I both belong to some different groups. And there's a counselor group on Facebook. And someone posted a blog about how kids shouldn't start working on their essays until the fall. And I think that's hogwash for the record. Terrible. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, sure, kids, students may be doing some interesting things this summer. And perhaps there is a possibility that you might have some experience that you want to write about. But it far for me the benefits of working on and finishing your essay during the summer so far outweigh the benefits of waiting that it's I, I, I don't even think it's a discussion and <laughs> obviously I disagree strongly with the person who's promoting that idea but um, right. I agree you know. Beth and, and not to belabor the point but um, I spoke about this with another one of my students really recently who was sort of leaning on the summer experience as fodder for their essay and I certainly get the temptation, right? I, I could see how that could make sense. Mm-hmm. But my other side says, you know what? Why are we putting so much pressure on this experience to be so special that it's going to be appropriate for a college admission essay? It may not be at all what you think it's going to. And so, you know, I still say to kids who want to lean on a summer experience, like, great. But why don't we get started on maybe a second choice as if this never existed and see what we can come up with? Still leaving a little bit of time for that special experience should it still be, you know, a possibility. Exactly. Because the fact is, once these students start back to school in the fall, their time... You know, they're going to be crazed and they're not going to give it enough time. And there's nothing worse than leaving your essay to the last minute. So there you go. Kira and I are strongly in favor of working on that this summer. Okay. So you're back in school. (laughs) You're back at school. What we talk about curriculum and course choice every year. And if you are interested, you can go back in the archives and you can listen to each one of these other shows that we've done. Uh, What are your rules of thumb for senior year? Yeah, so coursework is still 
still keen. So I want to still, you know, have students that are pushing themselves, um, you know, at the most challenging level they can manage successfully. Um, and I still want kids to, to do their schoolwork like it matters because it does. Yep. Um, so, you know, particularly for students who, you know, to, to Kathy's point in the earlier segment, who um, <clears throat> may be doing an early action, early decision um, application, at some point those grades will be seen. And guess what? Even for regular, at some point those grades will be seen. Um, and schools still want to admit the same student, um, you know, spring as, as they admitted in the fall. So uh, the grades are still really, really important um, for first semester of senior year. Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, we generally agree on all these things. You know, I would say for those of you who are aspiring to the most selective levels, I think this should be the year where you probably take on the most rigor that you've taken on yet. That's what those schools are going to expect. I think for those of you who are the average student, uh, there's certainly no expectation that you need to be in all APs and honors, and maybe you're not going to be in any APs and honors, but you certainly should still have five core academic courses. That's going to be impressive to the colleges that you're going to be looking at that are going to be appropriate for you. Right. And I don't think I could stress more uh, or underscore what you're saying about the importance of doing well. Do as well as you can, because uh, I do remember from my time in admissions that nothing would sink a kid faster than you have this phenomenal performance the rest of the time. And then you turn to where they're at now with the current courses and they look very different or one or two Agreed. of them look significantly different, right? That's going to uh, hurt. Agreed. That's hard to recover from. So we want yep. the senior year coursework to make sense. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continuous path, but it's a linear progression. Um, like you said, nothing out of the ordinary, no all of a sudden five APs when you've never had any or the reverse. So just that yep. it continues to make sense as an applicant. Yeah, I think that's super important. And we've done episodes on course choice and mm-hmm. how to think about that. So I encourage people to go back to the archives for those. What about outside of the classroom and activities? We talk about that every year. What are, you, what are the priorities for senior year when it comes to activities? Yeah, I think maintaining the same level of commitment as you had in the previous years or, or even uh, – getting more involvement, mm-hmm. like via leadership or uh, just a deeper commitment, that's really what we're looking for. So sometimes I hear families and I, you know, I, I emphasize with them like, well, my kid's going to drop down at just five hours a week of an activity because they have applications to submit and all of that stuff. And, you know, these are kids who have been busy 15 hours a week and so that doesn't feel right. That's not going to really mm-hmm. support their application well. So, again, we want it to be, if nothing, a little bit more than the previous year. If you can't manage that, let's make it a sustained, um, consistent commitment. And then also any leadership would be fantastic. Right, exactly. Captain of a sports team or a section leader. Depending on the school you're looking at, the leadership's going to be really important. Or at other places, it'll just be a, wow, that's really nice to see. And it might make someone a candidate for a merit-based scholarship or something like that. Right, something beyond the admit, just the admissions piece. Exactly. Yeah. And, and just to one last thing I will say is dropping things in the senior year that you've been doing up until that point. I mean, sometimes you, there are reasons for it. And I'm not saying that I've never had a student do it, but in general, bad idea. You really want to just stick it out one more year if you possibly can. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like this is the time. Show some grit. 
don't let yourself mm-hmm. get scared off if you're taking, you know, let's say, like I see this a lot with kids, like for calculus, right, where they may be struggling. It's a different kind of math than they've seen in the past, and they are freaking out because they are not doing as well as they are used to. Stick with it. Use your mm-hmm. resources. Talk to your teacher. Try to do anything to save it rather than dropping, you know, down a level or even worse, dropping the subject entirely. I'd be very careful about that. Yep. Dropping pretty much anything in the senior year, usually a bad idea. Really? Definitely. Uh, All right. So we talked about stuff that you could be doing on your applications during the summer before senior year, but then there are (laughs) other things um, to be doing in the senior year related to not just applications, but the college process in general. So talk us through some of those things that you see as really important to be focusing on and during what part of senior year. Sure. So let's start with fall, and I alluded to it a little bit with visits. Um, Fall is senior year. It's definitely not too late to make some visits to schools. A lot of universities and colleges still have formal um, open house programs for seniors, so it can be a nice opportunity to get on campus, um, see an academic setting like a classroom, sit in on a class. There's some parent programming typically, and sometimes they even build in student overnights. Those are great if you can swing another trip, um, you know, to your uh, preferred campus. Um, And let's remember we're not just visiting REIT schools. We're also visiting target schools or visiting Mm -hmm. safety or problem schools. So um, fall is still a great time for that. Um, I would say more late fall, uh, winterish is probably when I see students, um, you know, getting ready for interviews if they have that opportunity. Actually, it's not really winter. It's really a true fall thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, as, a, as an addendum to what happens in the summer, start some preparation, um, you know, over the summer, just thinking about interview questions that you may be asked in an interview, and please be um, sure of the deadlines to sign up for interviews. There's nothing worse than talking with a student um, who is excited about an interview and they missed the deadline. Um, mm-hmm. So um, another thing to bring up is really organization. Use summer as a way to get organized and certainly fall, you know, so that you know all the moving pieces of what's the deadline, what questions am I going to be asked on the um, essay, and how many letters of rec do I need? So, um, you know, fall is also a really good time to get yourself organized. Yes. And for those parents who are listening, one thing that I would say is here's a great place where you could help. Let's say you're a parent, you're dying to help your child with mm-hmm. some part of this process, um, helping to them to schedule interviews. I'm sorry, scheduling interviews. Yeah, helping them to schedule visits, helping them to get organized. Uh, if that's your skill set and your strength, I'm not saying this shouldn't be the child's responsibility. I'm a big fan of that. But I also know that there are a lot of parents who want to help and are looking right. for appropriate ways to help. And that, to me, is an appropriate way to help. It's much more appropriate than helping with that essay, you know, helping to edit it or yeah. worse yet, write it. So <laughs> if you want a, a good way to get involved, this would be a good way to get involved. Agreed. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be an Excel spreadsheet. It could literally be, you know, a dry erase board that you keep up in your kitchen. So whatever mm-hmm. works for the family, let's do that. But uh, Beth is 100% right. This is a fantastic way that a family, uh, you know, a parent can contribute to the process in a way that doesn't harm the student. Yes, agreed. 
So I, I will say, in terms of the interviews um, and scheduling them, one one part of it that can happen in the winter um, is that there are some schools where they don't interview you before you apply. It happens afterwards, and it's and yeah. it's an alumni interview, and that's something that you might want to prepare for. Um, if you're applying to all schools via regular decision, it may be that you will be doing some interviewing in the wintertime. So if you haven't yet had to prepare for those, that's something else you want to be thinking about. Very true. Um, what else? When, um, one thing we haven't really talked about is, you know, the big thing that's going to happen in senior year is you're going to get answers from colleges. And um, do you have any advice for students about how to handle that piece of things? Yeah, when they start getting some decisions, is that what you mean, Beth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so, and how do you um, file through those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, decisions can start rolling in. You know, there's some schools that will let you apply late August or throughout the summer. You can find out by September. Um, so, you know, I always think, like, let's process the, as the decisions come in, let's process them, figure out what the next step is. So if it's an accept. You know, the next step is to do some further research, um, maybe see if there's an opportunity for a scholarship um, or if they've submitted some financial information that, you know, that you'll stay on top of that um, and see if it's viable, right? That's what you do with the accepts and just kind of hang on to them. Same thing mm-hmm. if, you've, if your student's been deferred, if there's some additional information that could be helpful, um, you know, you want to follow up in a really timely fashion for that. So if it's another test score or if it's a letter of interest or if it's nothing but just kind of hang tight and continuing to do well in senior year, let's do that. Um, obviously, if it's a deny and you were really leaning on that school as an option, then perhaps you may need to come up with some more choices of schools to apply to. So um, I think that's a nice way to um, manage all those decisions that are coming in. The other side of it is, again, back to the visiting piece. If you're in at a place and you maybe haven't visited it yet or you saw it at a time and you didn't get, like, the impression you wanted or the information you wanted, um, see if you can visit it again um, now uh, through the lens of an accepted student, which for sure is uh, most different than as a perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And at some, if you attend an official prospective student program, the other mm-hmm. thing, or I'm sorry, accepted student program, the other thing that can happen is you can actually meet some other students who've been accepted and really start to get a feel for what your class might look like and whether or not that looks like a group of students you would be happy being a part of or that you feel like you have a connection to. And and that can be another reason why you might want to go back to those colleges. And I, I sometimes find that families aren't really thinking about the the visit after you've been accepted piece. And I'm not saying it's a requirement, but um, I do think, I agree with you, I think it's a really good thing to do after the dust has settled and now you know that you're accepted. Do you feel the same way about these schools as you yeah. did when you visited when, they, when you didn't know if you could get in kind of thing? I couldn't agree more. And sometimes, too, the parents seeing it again are like, wow, yes, I'm willing and I support my students, you know, ability to, to attend or, ooh, at second glance, I don't know if I want to write my check for this place for this mm-hmm. reason. So I think for all parties involved, you know, it can be very useful information. Yeah, I would say that with um, even at home this year, and for those of you who've listened to a few of these shows, you know that I have a stepson <laughs> who's heading off to college next year. And he had a top choice um, and when he got all of his acceptances, uh, the school that was his top choice, he went back and visited and he liked it 
fine still, but then he also went and visited a couple of the others. And what emerged was that a school that he really liked, that was probably in his top four, kind of came out as the number one option after he was admitted and he went back and he did those admitted students Mm. programs. And uh, he ended up enrolling at that school. So you can change your mind. Uh, about about those after after you've gotten in and and you've gotten a second look at the school. So um, going back can be really useful. Yes, wholeheartedly. Anything agree. else? Exactly. Anything else that you would say about senior year? We I, I feel like we had so much to cram into the other years, and now suddenly it's senior <laughs> year, and after you get through the first half, it's a little bit of like, okay, well, you've done what you can do. There's now you just wait, right? Yeah, you do. You wait. I mean, I feel strongly, and I think, um, you know, Beth and our terrific colleagues would agree that, you know, I always say to my kids, like, applying to college is a fall of senior year pursuit. So, you know, for sure, we don't want this to drag on. In my world, past Thanksgiving. Um, In the real world, probably much past January 1st, right? I mean, this has to end at some point. Um, But, yeah, I think the other side of this is that it's kind of like if you, you know, have any engagement in television or film, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, you hurry mm-hmm. up, you get your apps out, there's a lot of intensity involved, and then you sit and wait for somebody to decide for you. And so I always tell my families and the students as well, like, you know what, like, I, let's put college on the back burner, let's put all that chatter on the back burner, and just let the process play itself out. Um, and, um, you know, make sure that your kids are still invested in their activities, make sure that you guys are still enjoying time as a family, um, you know, and all that good stuff, because come uh, the time that the admissions start rolling in, it, it will change the dynamic in the house. It becomes like, oh, so-and-so is going to college, to wow, so-and-so is really going to college in a few months. So, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, enjoy that time before everything gets turned on its side. <laughs> yes, um, and, and just, you, you know, be prepared that. to wait it out. Mm-hmm. And and the fact is, there is not necessarily anything you can or should be doing during that waiting uh-huh. period. I know it's tempting to want to do something and call them and inundate them with more and more information. But if you've yeah. done a good job on your applications, you got to just kind of let it ride and. Right. Um, See what happens. And That's I think right. uh, I, I do want to underscore what you just said about in your world, it ends by Thanksgiving. In my world, it does, too. Of course, we both know that that's not totally how it works. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, if you get it done before Christmas, before holiday break, because who wants to spend that week between Christmas and New Year's working on your college applications? I will that's tell right. you right now. Nobody wants right. to do that. <laughs> so get it, it done. It may seem like a good idea in planning. Like, oh, they'll have time. In reality, it's horrible. The parent, yep. you know, is miserable because they have to stay on their kid. The kid is miserable because they have to do the work. So, uh, yeah, I think this can be everybody's Thanksgiving or holiday gift. Um, just end it. End it already. Yep. <laughs> Get it done. Do it well, but get it done. Get her done. <laughs> get her done. Kira, thank you so much. I don't know what I'm going to do next week when you are not a guest. <laughs> I know. I'll miss it, but I had an awesome time. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to join you, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that people will enjoy what's in the archives. I do, too. I do, too. So we're going to go to break, but in our final segment today, we're talking about learning differences and college admissions. So we're going to be right back. Don't go away.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com if you're a parent of a high school student you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions about the growing number of applicants the shrinking number of spots about how even valedictorians are being turned away for families of hopeful college students it's impossible not to worry but at college coach we take the worry out Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. We're in our third segment today. We're talking about learning differences in the college process. So for those of you who either have children with learning differences or if you are a student with learning differences, the college process can be just a little bit more challenging. And my colleague, Sally Ganga, who's been here many times before and who's a former senior admissions officer at Reed and University of Chicago, among a couple other schools, uh, is back. And she's going to talk to us about how to approach applying to college with learning differences. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm doing well, Beth. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Let's start at the very beginning, and that is there are going to be some changes when you move from high school to college. Every student is going to experience that. What is, in your opinion, the biggest change for families and students with learning differences as they make that transition from high school to college? Sure. The biggest, the biggest piece is that students are really going to need to advocate for themselves. Um, at the high school level, or I should say the K-12 through level in general, there's some obligations for, um, you know, for the school personnel to identify students who might have you know, additional needs, to encourage them to get testing, to say we think you might need services in this. I'm aware that in all actuality, this doesn't act, always happen. You know, I tell mm-hmm. this to people and they laugh because they're like, that's <laughs> not what's going on at my school. But they do have an obligation to modify um, their curriculum so that a student can graduate, basically. Um, they have an obligation to accommodate. And the, I should just say that it's, it's the obligation of, the, of colleges are much, mm-hmm. much less. They do have an obligation for a reasonable accommodation, but they don't have an obligation, for example, to modify curriculum. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, it's really about going from being a high school student where there are a lot of things that are done for you or a lot of things you can access to being a college student where in many ways you're going to be on your own and more treated as more of an adult, which is kind of the point of college, right? Exactly. And it could even be like when I talk about modification versus accommodation, I know it's confusing. So I'm going to give an example. So um, at the high school level, you might have a student who has a learning disability such that taking a foreign language is really going to be extremely challenging for them. So the high school might say, that's fine. We're going to give you a diploma. You don't have to take a foreign language. And then they might get to college and the college says, if you graduate, for you to get a diploma from here, you need two years of a foreign language, period, Mm -hmm. end of discussion. Right, because and they, they may not waive that. that. They don't have to modify their curriculum. They have to make accommodations. The student can get extended time on tests and things like that, but they're not going to let them out of any requirements. Gotcha. That is an important, that's a great example. Thanks for um, sharing that with us. I would imagine, well, and, and I know from working with not very many, but a few students with some significant learning differences that there is a difference in what is going to be available at different colleges. And so one of the big pieces of applying to college is certainly putting together a list. And so what are some things that students with learning differences uh, need to think about as they research and put together their own college lists? Sure. I mean, I think really think about the level of accommodations that you are currently getting in high school and don't make the mistake of thinking that you're going to need even less when you get to college. I actually run into that more than you would think. And Mm -hmm. I think anyone from the outside thinks, well, of course. Of course you're going to need more. You're transitioning. The curriculum tends to be more challenging. It's a new place. If anything, you're Mm -hmm. probably going to need more assistance because a typical college student needs more assistance at the outset, right? But I run into students who kind of think, no, 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 I'll be in college. I'll be a grown-up. I can deal with it on my own. I don't want to ask for any extra help. Because the switch um, is going to somehow be flipped, right, once you step on that campus. And then they get there and they kind of, they they realize that it's really challenging. So so start by trying to be realistic. Think about the level of services that you get in high school. And then that can help you identify probably what you might need in college. You're going to need maybe a little more in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, So for example... Like, let's just say you need really minimal accommodations. All you need, all you're getting in high school is extended time um, on tests, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So probably for those, you're just going to need a school with basic services. All colleges are required under the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, to give just a basic level of of services. You know, there's usually going to be some kind of a point person that they can talk to. You're going to want to talk to them and find out, are you going to help me also advocate for myself with my professors, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yep. However, if you're getting a lot more, you know, if you have a whole team of people helping you out, um, if you're getting extensive services, then you're going to need to, if you have trouble also asking teachers um, mm-hmm. for accommodations, if it's very, very hard for you to do so, then you're probably going to need a college um, or university that offers a, really a program that's much, that offers much more services. Right. So, much more support, right? Exactly. So, There's the minimum, and then um, is there a middle ground between applying to a specific program designed for a student with a specific type of learning difference? How do you think about that? Because it's my understanding there's sort of three different levels, and I'm curious about your thoughts about that medium level and, and what that might be appropriate for. 
what it sure. looks like. Sure. I mean, and I just, I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm, I get these categories from a book that I love called The K&W Guide to College Programs and Services for Students with Learning Disabilities or ADHD. It's a long title, but, um, <laughs> and they basically divide it into three categories, which is services, which is the basic one, coordinated services, and then structured programs. So obviously structured programs provides the most. Coordinated services basically means that there's at least um, there's at least one certified learning disability specialist who's on staff. The staff mm-hmm. also has a basic level of knowledge and is trained to provide assistance to students um, to help them and develop help them develop strategies for their individual needs. Um, and in some cases, the director of the program might be involved in the admission decision, which is also going to be the case at the highest level where you've got a structured program, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much is almost never going to be the case when you've got just the basic services. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So the me- the medium level might be that middle ground might be for that student you just mentioned who is, has maybe not a full team, um, but has some more issues than just needing extended time or needs extended time and maybe isn't so great about advocating for her, him or herself, they might benefit from just having someone to turn to when they're on campus who knows how to deal with their type of disability um, exactly. or their, their learning difference. Okay. Uh, yeah, I about- think that, and, yeah, I mm-hmm. think that that's exactly right. And I actually think, and I, I'm probably taking too long on this, but I do want to stress that that issue of being able to advocate for yourself is where a lot of this turns on when you think about the services you need. So right. really think, do you, are you going to need help talking to faculty, getting you know, the accommodations that you need. Right. Some kids are going to be really great at advocating for themselves, and some kids are going to be almost unable to do so. And mm-hmm. that's really important, right, to, to understand mm-hmm. that distinction. What mm-hmm. about those special programs um, that are you, you, you apply to them in many ways because you have a learning difference and they're created just for you? What are some examples of those types of things, and, is, and who, who is that typically a good program for? Sure. Well, I think, I mean, um, these programs are for students. I, I would say anybody who thinks that they're going to re- need a lot of help advocating for themselves, um, mm-hmm. as we mentioned. But I also want to mention, I've, I've started working a lot with students who are on the autism spectrum. And mm-hmm. um, so a lot of these programs, you know, a lot of these programs do a lot of work with students with autism. Um, Adelphi is a school that comes to mind that has remarkable support because it not only helps students sort of um, talk with faculty, but it will help them with the social side of things. You know, it'll, right. it'll help them with kind of support groups and figuring out, you know, social skills, things like that that can be very challenging for someone who's on the spectrum. Right, because they could be really fine students, but it's the social piece of, <clears throat> excuse me, of college that they really cha- are challenged to, to mm-hmm. navigate. Yeah, absolutely. So. In, in fact, that's frequently the case. <laughs> students with autism right. are, they, they span the same... Um, uh, you know, they span intelligence just like a person who's, as we, you know, as you say, neurotypical, right? Someone who mm-hmm. doesn't have that particular disability. They can be above average or below average in the same percentages. So lots and lots of kids are going on to college, but, you know, they're having trouble with roommates. They don't know how to, how to sort of, um, how to negotiate the social life, this brand new social life full of people who aren't used to them and used yep. to the way they communicate. Yep, absolutely. Uh, 
so you've got your list of schools. You you kind of know which ones you think are going to be an appropriate fit for you. And now it's time to apply. I think one of the biggest questions that I get when it comes to students with learning differences and disabilities is, do we disclose that on the application or at some point in the process? And if so, when uh, and how do we do that? Yeah, my general rule is you only disclose if there's a reason to do so. And the only yep. really good reason to do so is if it's going to help your child in the admission process. So yep. when will it help your child? Well, sometimes these schools that have structured programs or even coordinated services, sometimes those people will have input into the admission process. Not always, but in mm-hmm. that situation, disclosing can be a good idea if you've already reached out to the director of student um, disability services at that school, for example, then mm-hmm. in that situation, disclosing can be to your advantage. The other times that I recommend students disclose, I had a student at, um, at one of the high schools I worked at as a college guidance counselor. He was a C student in ninth and 10th grade, finally got diagnosed with ADHD, got the assistance that he needed, became an AB student. I, with yep. him, I said disclose. We've got a full year to. of excellent grades. That's a reason to yep. disclose. Exactly. And I've had similar students where that happened. And same thing, we opted to disclose in those situations. When would you say is a time where you probably wouldn't disclose? If you have strong grades, if your grades are already in the, you know, in the range of the school, um, you know, be aware that disclosing, this, this may not be fair, but I think it can set off some... Um, you know, set off some sort of red lights, yep. um, you know, that might discourage an admissions officer. And so you just don't want to do that. You also don't want to sound like you're complaining. And I think mm-hmm. that having a learning disability is something that you have every right to feel f- frustrated about. But you don't want to ever sound like you're making an excuse. And I think sometimes those essays can sound like you're making an excuse, even though you're not. That's how it can come across in the three minutes that an admissions officer has to read your essay. Right, exactly. I do think that generally speaking, unless it is the story that you need to tell and you can tell it in a way that's positive and brings a really nice, shines a really nice light on some significant accomplishments that you've achieved, it's almost never a great topic for a mm-hmm. college essay. Maybe yeah. it's a, you're adding it in the additional information section or you're providing some information from a doctor because to your point, you're, it's going to help you to disclose and you want to do so, but that doesn't mean that the student has to write an essay about it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope, just quickly, I wanted to mention that sometimes even schools with structured programs, um, disclosing can still be a bad idea because not all of them, it, you know, like University of Connecticut, for example, they have a wonderful structured program um, called Seeds for Students Who Are on the Autism Spectrum, but you, you have to get in, you, they do not consider that during the admission process. Uh, so okay. I just want to put in that little tip. Always check with the office of um, support for students with um, disabilities before you decide whether to disclose or not. Right. And the only thing I'm going to add to all of this as we wrap up this segment is simply that we're not saying that you should never disclose. We are not suggesting that you would end up on that college campus and be keeping it a secret. The key Mm -hmm. is when you disclose it, right? So for the most part, you're probably not going to disclose it in your application. But once you're admitted and you've decided to attend, now is the time to let them know, hey, I'm going to need some accommodations, maybe set up some appointments with people on campus. You want to go 
there and get the support you need. It's just that it's not always going to be useful to you in the admissions process. Right. And when I'm saying disclosing, I'm speaking of disclosing to the admission office directly. You can talk to the office um, that supports the students with disabilities much, much earlier. Right. They're not going to run and tell the admissions people that. Exactly. Exactly. Sally, thank you so much. And thanks to all of my guests today. And as a reminder, I do want to remind people that while we love it when you listen live, you don't have to. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And you can also download every single show that we do for free on iTunes. So get in there. Check out our archives. There's lots of good stuff in there. Um, Don't worry about making time every Thursday at 4 because we're basically we're on demand. Uh, Also, don't forget about our listener contest. We want you to send us your segment ideas and be entered to win a free 30-minute consult with one of our great college coach experts. You can visit www.gettingin.com forward slash radio to send us your ideas, and we're going to draw the first winner on Tuesday. That's this coming Tuesday, July 21st at 12. Uh, Next week, we're welcoming a representative of the Common App to go over this year's changes uh, and to discuss the philosophy behind some of those decisions. We're really excited to have uh, someone from the Common App here to join us. We're also going to talk about what to do if you're about to start repaying your college loans. It's always fine when you take them out and much less fun when you actually have to start paying them back. So we're going to talk about that. And finally, we'll be discussing how to take all of your accomplishments and present them in the most impactful way in your college applications. Uh, So definitely tune in next week. As you know, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, but we're also available 24-7 in the Voice America archives. So check us out. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.